0: In this episode of The Ziggler Show, we hear a classic message from Zig Ziggler on flea training. He'll tell you how when you put fleas in a jar, put a lid on it, they'll jump up and hit the lid over and over till they adapt to it. Then they'll only jump just as high as they can before they hit the lid. If you take the lid off, they only jump as high as it was, and they won't jump out. Of course, the point is how we are so often like the fleas. We accept a limit that's really not there. So I asked the Ziegler audience, what limiting conditioning have you overcome? Tom Ziegler and I talked through the comments here, and they've strived to help us all become aware of where we have accepted limits to our ability and capacity that are not really there. Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller. I produce four shows per week on three different podcasts that have been downloaded over 50 million times. My endeavor on every show is to bypass the symptomatic methodologies of personal development and cut to the root issues of making real, lasting change in our lives that brings us the fulfillment we so desperately desire. This is The Ziegler Show, where we focus on your professional development and succeeding in your career and business. Here, I talk with people who have had great professional success doing something they truly care about that serves others. Then every week, I pose a professional or personal development question to the Ziggler audience, and Tom Ziegler and I come together to have a conversation around the responses. I encourage you to visit Ziegler.com slash podcast and join Tom Ziegler and the family there for the inspiration we all need. Right now, he's inviting you to join him to become I'm a Ziggler coach. Again, Ziggler.com/slash podcast or email Tom at Tom at Ziggler.com. In my motive podcast, we get to the root of our desires, our reasons, our motives, fuel everything we do, yet we are generally unaware of them. In episode 22, I brought Jared Angaza back to join me as co-host and discuss what makes you proud of yourself. We dig into the necessity to do just that, be proud of ourselves, if we want to get the most out of ourselves. This reality massively affects our motives. Then in the True Life Podcast, we address your health and wellness. You are the vehicle for all you do. If your body and mind are compromised, so are all of your efforts. In episode 64, we talk with Dr. Dan O'Neill about the plight of our kids right now who are getting literally fatter and sicker and less smart as a result. What does that mean for them? What does it mean for our present culture and increasing healthcare crisis? And what can you do about it? You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. You
1: train fleas, you train fleas by putting them in a jar. Now fleas, and you put the top on, fleas will jump up and they'll hit the top over and over and over and over and over and over and over over. You watch them jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. And then suddenly you will notice that though they continue to jump, they are no longer hitting the top. Then you can literally take the top off and they will continue to jump, but they literally cannot, cannot jump out of the jar. And the reason they cannot jump out of the jar is because they have conditioned themselves to jump just so high. Man is exactly the same way. Starts out in life to write the book, to break the record, to climb the mountain, to do something significant. Along the way, he bumps his head, stubs his toe, makes some mistakes, and all of a sudden uh, loses that marvelous concentration and confidence and creativity and becomes a snob. op Now, that's spelled S-N-I-O-P. That's the person who is susceptible to the negative influence of other people. The classic example is the four-minute mile. For years and years, athletes had uh, said, I'm going to break the four-minute barrier. But when they made that statement, the coaches would get their stopwatches out and say, man, you might can get it down to 402, but you'll never break that barrier. The doctors were saying, man, they put the stethoscope on the heart, your heart will come right out of your body. There is no way you can ever run in less than four minutes. And for years and years and years, athletes tried valiantly to do it, but could not. Then one day, a flea trainer named Roger Bannister from Britain ran a mile in less than four minutes. Almost immediately after him, Landy of Australia broke the four-minute barrier, and since then, over 500 individuals have run that race in less than four minutes, including a high school student and a 37-year-old man. This year John Walker of New Zealand who has run over 130 sub four minute miles is now 40 years old. He's in training right now to break the barrier again. There have been at least six different races where eight young men all in that same race broke the four minute barrier. Now, is it because they all of a sudden got that much better physically? Did the equipment improve that much? It might have improved some, but when Roger Bannister, who followed every principle of goal setting that I'm talking about here, he measured every stride. Number one, he's a superb athlete. Number two, he got in marvelous condition. Number three, he recruited three other guys to serve him, serve as his pacers in that race, and he had targets along the way. He knew how long his strides were. Where how many he could jog or run in uh, 440, he broke it all down. And when he broke the barrier, then athletes all over the world realized it was not a physiological barrier. It was a psychological barrier. That's an important difference.
0: Tom, And we hear your dad talk about flea training and ultimately, you know, and again to the question that I ask, what limiting conditioning have you overcome? Obviously, the conditioning, a lot of times that we think of is what we have been given externally by somebody else, a parent, uh, uh, you know, a teacher, a spouse, a whoever who has given us conditioning, positive and negative, uh, and how that's affected us, but also the conditioning that we give ourselves for whatever thing. What I did want to say, though, as a provider of this topic, as you and I are coming to the table as today or to the microphone today, and as you know, personal development experts and leaders and influencers, when I look at that, I and mean, we all have limiting conditioning. I, I mean, I am not. There's no way I can stand here and say, "Yep, I got rid of that." Man, I have no limits. I have no, you know, I have no top on my own jar. I always do. I think I'm always striving and hopefully progressing to go beyond that, but. I would I think I I would be personally I'd be lying if I said yeah I've er, I've eradicated that. No I haven't. Man I wake up every day with limiting conditioning that I have in the moment and, and 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 continuously. And I think mo much of the battle is just flat out becoming aware of what is mine and why. 100% and
2: the way you said that is proof you haven't. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. So self-fulfilled prophecy. Well, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something we, we, every human deals with. Yeah. And, you know, last time we talked about how do we, how do we not get mired in this relentless pursuit for doing a little bit better to where we never enjoy the present. All right. Yeah. Because, because if we're pushing the envelope constantly, Uh, When do we ever step back and go, wow, look at that Uh, versus uh, always, you know, the other temptation is just to be satisfied with less than what we could have done or, you know, just saying, well, I've never done that before, so I'm not even going to try.
0: Yeah, well. I want to hit, we've got a lot, a lot of people that, you know, made comments here and I want to do, I do want to get through or talk through some of those, but, you know, overall, as I looked at this, you know, as we look at personal development, so I did a show with our doctor, Dr. Randy James, my co-host on the true life podcast. We recorded a show earlier and Tom, I continue to come back and look at, as we look at personal development, personal growth, personal progress, self-help, this whole, you know, industry and arena that we're in with ourselves and our our audience of aspiring people and our peers and whatnot, that I continue to feel like the biggest challenge is just the culture that we're in. Just the norm It is so difficult to look at the norm of humanity. We want to just be okay with it. We want to trust it. We want to just be comfortable in it. And yet we see the stats and by far and large, it's, it's not always going in a good direction and it gets tiring, you know, to go, to go upstream. And even this sometimes to look at, gosh, do we have to be progressing all the time? Do we have to be striving all the time? Hopefully we're doing it in peace and fulfillment and contentment with being okay with who we are today, even as we want to, you know, progress forward. But in looking at that aspect of how powerful the culture is, when I look at this, And think about the topic that we just heard the message uh, that your dad gave on flea training to think, man, we all have a lid. We're all, we come out of the womb with a, with a lid. I mean, you know, we're we're whatever, whatever shape, whatever propensities we have, then we are exposed to what we're exposed to. And I'm enamored, Tom, I was looking at it in preparation for this. And I mean, look at you, you're an author, you're a speaker. You're a leader, literally a leader. You have people that you are leading. You are an influencer. Well, who are you to think you could do that, Tom Ziegler? You're some kid who was in school with a bunch of other kids who didn't think that they... Why do you think you could do it? And my first thought is, why? Because your dad did it. You were exposed to it. So, you know, on that note, I looked it up. Doctors, their kids are 24 times more likely to become a doctor. Why? It's what they're exposed to. Lawyers, kids are 17 times more likely. How much more likely were you to become an author and a speaker? And, and hey, what does my dad do? He's an author, a speaker. What do I do? Pretty much I've I've never been an employee. I've always been a business owner. What did my dad do? Same thing. You know, exposure, but to look at that in good and bad, and to realize, man, so much of our lids uh were just by proxy there because that's what we were born and raised and and brought up in, I want my kids to know this, to say, guys, you've got lids and you can't not have lids. I can't not give you a lid. Best I can do is at least tell you, you got a lid, check it out. What do you think about it? And know that it's just there because this is all, you know, to me, that's maybe the biggest message of this, that we are all, if we all have the same capacity capability to some degree, we have a lid because it was I don't want to say it was given. It was kind of given to us to some degree.
2: Yeah. You know, we just, whatever environment we're in, that's normal. That's natural. And if we get stretched, uh, higher or lower, we get uncomfortable. You know, we try to, in sales, we say that, uh, you can almost always, uh, tell the biggest sale somebody's going to make based on the biggest sale they've ever made. You know, people, People very rarely will, you know, make a hundred dollar sale and then a million dollar sale. You know, it goes a hundred, two hundred, and then four hundred, then a thousand, and you know, it kind of goes up. I'll never forget early in my kind of corporate business career, uh, we're we're taking clients out, and and it was a dinner, and it cost, you know, there's five people, and and I think the dinner was. $250, $350, somewhere in there. And to me, that just felt like so much money because as Ziggler, you know, we don't, alcohol is not part of that transaction, but I was young and I was like, wow, you know, this is a lot of money. And then I thought, well, based on the type of business we're doing and what they're investing and the potential, it's, it's not really a lot of money. And then a short time after that, uh, became friends with an individual who was a big fan of dad's and this guy plays in a whole different league. And he invited me to uh, a pheasant hunt, which never done, didn't have the equipment to do and I couldn't go. And I said, well, tell me about this pheasant hunt. And he was bringing his clients in and he was uh, flying a chef in and and it was on this game ranch and, and all of this stuff. And I started adding up the money And I thought, you know, he's going to spend over $100,000 putting on a pheasant hut for these people. Well, then I realized, wait a second, he was putting together a deal that was going to be over 100,000 acres in development. And so proportionately, my meal at the restaurant was more as a percentage of what the deal was, Than his hundred thousand dollar bringing these big guys in, yeah. And so we get comfortable with whatever we're comfortable with, and to me that's like the biggest lid. And so, so the question that's why that saying of, you know, you're the average of the five people you hang around the most with. That's why it's so true. And you, and you know, I think there's two circles you should you should you kind of create the circle you want to grow into, and that's people who are. You know, doing something that you want to do at a bigger scale and the people who you're leading developing who might, you know, you might be mentoring them up or
0: coaching them up at the same time. Yeah, that that's what I'm most enamored with, Tom is yeah, just what you said. I mean, you could take a kid, we've got a hundred stories and put them in a you know, middle-class family, two, two brothers, let's say, and one of them gets involved with the wrong crowd and it goes that direction. The other one happens to get involved with the yacht club and goes that direction. And, and we're so influenced by our exposure. I think that's half of my pro cycling career. I just happened to fall in with some high-level cyclists that took me in. And they're just talking about it. So I just, I kind of, by proxy, I expected to be good. I expected to win. I went to Holland and we we, we trained with a pro team there and had one of the guys say, uh, and I heard it secondhand, that he thought that I was the most promising prospect of the American group of riders there to become, to turn pro. I, I was better the next day after I heard that. Nothing changed. Again, it's just that same old story, but it's just... It's just mind blowing. I think that's the message I want to get across most is that we all have lids. A lot of it's not anything to do with anything we did or not. It's just what we were exposed to, but we can raise or lower those lids. Just like you said, Tom, by who we choose to be around, what circles we choose to be around. That's why I think it's probably one of the biggest benefits of getting involved in coaching or, or with a coach, with a consultant, with somebody who can just raise your level or again, with a group of people. Um, It's significant, you know, but first off, just to become aware, what are our, I I didn't really think about it in the term of lids, but going back to the flea training, what are our lids self-imposed, you know, or. Or given to us. Uh, let me, let me hit a couple. And then I do want to turn a little bit of a 180 on some of the natural aspect that we tend or perspective. We tend to look at this with, uh, but John Miller, he said a poverty mindset, a scarcity mindset. That is one that, you know, I thought about that for myself, Tom, I have always struggled some with a scarcity mindset with, I think with finances and with, uh, belongings and whatnot. And I look at it and go, I didn't grow up with that. And I don't think that I can't earn plenty. I've, I've proved that I can earn money. Even if I've got, no, no matter how much money I have in the bank, how many assets, I tend to have that. And some of it, I think I look back and I was trying to look at something and find something really powerful, you know, on why I had that. I think it's just as little as me. When I when I got out of school, I didn't care about money. I just didn't. Not, not anything good or bad about that. It just wasn't. I was interested about sports performance and I got into a group of people and we would just, man, that was it. We were just out there. We would, we would work to earn as much money as we needed to get to the next race. Hopefully we'd win some money at the race. And it was just kind of that aspect of not even poverty or scarcity, but just, just do enough to get you to the next fun thing. And as a kid, that was great. Man, just do enough and we'd go and we were experiencing life and I have very little regrets for that time period of life. But then I came out of that and I just kind of kept it. My wife even called me out on it one time. She says, you're always doing just enough to get by. So if you make, you know, uh, uh, even if you make a lot of money, well, then you'll back off and go do other things instead of keeping that on there. And it's just kind of this survival, you know, thing. And I look at that and go, again, it wasn't some big, acute deal, but I just let myself grow into that without being aware of that. How many people have that? Now, of course, a lot of people I'm sure came from families where it was really hard. And you can, again, sometimes adopt that lid, or as you know, we'll see people who will rebel against that lid and say, I'm never going to, we've had people on the show. I'm never going to experience that level of poverty again. I'm going to make money and they've gone and done that. And that can have good and bad consequences as well. But that's probably, man, poverty scarcity mindset, definitely more prevalent than the opposite. Wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely, and you know I've I have a personal experience in our watching our family. Um, little background on the Ziegler clan. Uh, this is all written about and and talked about. Uh, but you know, Dad's Dad died when he was five, and then Mom's Dad committed suicide when she was ten years old. Hmm. And so on. My mom, uh, she had two older sisters and an older brother, uh, and her mom got an insurance settlement for $10,000. So mom would be 93 now. So that's 83 years ago. And so my grandmother. It's a truckload of money back then. Yeah. uh, Well, a lot more than now, but it's not like whatever. Anyway, that $10,000 got all of the kids through school into college. If they wanted to all of that. So I want you to think about this. So my sisters growing up, uh, dad's early career was very up and down. You know, the, the, when they were first married, uh, he didn't really perform and didn't really make sales. Didn't, And then he would get into sales and and he took off and then he would get recruited and he'd start over and he'd go to the new deal. And so they were like going feast and famine up and down, up and down, up and down. So my sisters grew up in this. And they would tell me that, you know, dinner for the five of them. So my three sisters, mom and dad, you know, there would be five pieces of of fried chicken on the plate. There would be uh, one can of green beans split five ways. And it was like it was that my sister said they would look at, you know, the pieces and and try to figure out who was going to get the big piece. Well, that was simply a product of every meal that my mom grew up with was just enough. There was there was never extra. And so that was an interesting and and, and so they've had uh, the 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 in their lives, you know, how much food was available became a little bit of an issue. And and of course, later on in life, mom was still very, very uh, uh, frugal or tight. Uh, I mean, they had nice things and they enjoyed stuff, but she was always she she always wanted to make sure there was enough. Yeah. Even until the end, when there was when there was plenty, right? And and we just kept telling her, hey, you need to spend it all. You know, we're fine. You need to enjoy your life. But. That was a really watching that, right? And of course I grew up, uh, by the time I realized what dad was doing, he was kind of on the success train. So, uh, you know, there was there was the ability to do stuff and, and travel and, and those kinds of things. So I had a different upbringing than my sisters. Yeah. And so we talk about that sometime. And it's, it's interesting, now, once you identify the lids, You've got to be intentional about taking them off. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people never get into is the awareness of, hey, wait a second. Why do I think this way mm-hmm. about money? Why do I think this way about food? Why do I think this way about relationships? Why do I think this way about the way business works? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and so that's a that's a big deal. My own lid was in my speaking. I for I put the lid on that said, gosh. I don't want to speak because everybody's going to expect me to be just like my dad. Right. Right. Which wasn't true. Isn't true. Now they want me to do good in my own style and be prepared and, you know, and be a professional, but there's only one Zig Ziglar. And so that's a, that's a, a lid that says, well, why even go there? Because who can be Zig Ziglar? Yeah. Right.
0: You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode about overcoming our conditioned and perceived limits. Next, we discuss some of the limits and negative labels we give ourselves outside of any external input. Here are some great resources, then we'll jump right back into it. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to dot com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. So let's go ahead and hit right there, Tom, because, um, well, you know what, actually the the first post on here, I made my own comment. And I said, one of the lids that I had was, or or those negative labels was that I'm impatient. And I don't know that I was given that one, but I always felt that way. I knew I, man, I hated to wait on something. And so I adopted that, you know, of, of, of myself Uh, because somebody in here responded and said, man, I'm surprised. uh, uh, Chris Johnson, I'm surprised that your background had limiting conditioning, considering who your parents are. I guess it happens all families. And I said it wasn't really anything that they did. I'm the one that adopted it. And I even adopted some other positive ones, like that. You know, hey, you should be Ziggler, you're Zig's kid, you know, you should be, you should be uh, the, the best speaker ever and do it just like him and be as animated and jump around and have that accent and yeah, all that stuff, you know. And I got this, I got accolades for doing good things and embraced this high performance mentality, and I let it be somewhat of a lid, be be somewhat of a, uh, an imprisonment, even to have to perform, and I didn't get to be myself, and it wore me out to the point to where I didn't want to to do that. I didn't want to be on stage. I remember the day that I said, "You know what? I I appreciate what happens from the stage, the influence, but I don't want to be that guy." because I struggled with that. It's, it was tiring. I had done that too early and I decided that I'm not going to, it was years later when I realized that that's, that I did have a place there and that there was a purpose for me there, but I had to get rid of my own baggage that, you know, the point being, sometimes we can take on that lid. Doesn't always have to be a negative limiting lid. It could be a positive and yet still limiting lid. Uh, that we can, again, we can embrace, I think a lot of people do that like I did, to feed your own self image and you embrace this positive thing, but you can burn out. And that that was my story. I let it burn me out. And then I left an arena that really was part of my calling, but I was not doing it healthfully. And it wasn't somebody else's fault. It's, 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 you know, how what are you going to, what, what was the opposite? for My dad to say, dude, you're never going to amount to anything and hope that I rebelled against that and went and did it. He said, how oh, you can do anything. And I, it was almost too much for me. I'm sure it's I'm not the only one that's happened to you. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, I love this subject. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at a roofing convention and it was just, it was up in Pennsylvania and the audience was made up of Amish and Mennonite commercial roofers.
0: That's my heritage right there.
2: There you go. And so one of my friends there, uh, Dave Kaufman, uh, he's a Ziegler, uh, speaker. He's fantastic. And he also does the disc training and he's got uh, I believe Mennonite background. And so he kind of speaks the language and understands the culture and, and, uh, all of that. And, and, uh, So I I went over to where he was and he was talking to, and I think they were Amish, Uh, you know, a little progressive, you know, a little bit outside of what we think of Amish, but uh, the, you know, the very conservative outfit and the bonnet and and all those things. And so in DISC, which is personality, uh, the the DISC basically says there's four types of personalities, right? You know, Mm -hmm. there's the driver, the high D, the bottom line decision maker, There's the I, which is the cheerleader, inspirational. They, you know, they're the social butterfly. They love engagement. I'm an S, which is kind of steady, which is uh, very relational. I never want to disappoint or hurt your feelings. And then there's the C, which is like the accountant, you know, the analytical, the very detail-oriented and And Dave was talking about his background, and the and the uh, Amish couple was there, and they were talking about how much they enjoyed going through the personality style. And the comment they said was, from a cultural perspective, was amazing, because in the culture, kids are basically seen and not heard. It is very much uh, respect oriented. You don't wiggle. You, you know, you, as as soon as you can figure out, uh, you know, what behaving means, all the kids are behaving, but it also penalizes personality styles. Mm -hmm. If you've got a high, eye, vivacious, artistic, flowing child, and they are in an environment that is very
0: subdued.
2: uh, subdued. And especially when you're around other families and other adults, uh, you know, you're put in that place. And so what they, what they said was, is the amazing thing was, is when they recognized that God had given each person their own personality and they understood what that meant. It was like watching the, it was like watching the flowers open up, Hmm. right? It was like each person could then, so the lid in my mind, the lid was coming off because Hey, you know what? I'm not wrong for, you know, one to have a conversation with a fence post and, you know, and, and be excited and, and they're not wrong for quietly sitting and reading. Right. But in the culture, the one that was quietly sitting and reading is the one that everybody says, why don't you be like so-and-so?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: And so it doesn't mean that you necessarily uh, can act up in church just because that's the way you are. That's not what it means. It means that you're not wrong for having that view and that personality in, in the way you you go. And so the way that I was just a uh, a spectator watching this conversation, and I think every single one of us has our own version of that situation. Where we grow up in a family or we or we hang out with friends and they get this worldview about the way business works about the way relationships works about the way business works and some of it's great and some of it's limiting yeah and we've got to identify where we stand in that and then what's holding us back to blow that lid off
0: well it's a great analogy that you gave there to talk about the amish you know in the mennonite and uh, yeah, that is my background. So, uh, my dad, Dan Miller, who many people know was born, his parent, his parents were both born into Amish families from Amish families. Um, they did not stay completely in as Amish. You have a point of reckoning in essence at 18 years old, but they, uh, had that point where they did leave it, but they retained the religion of the, of the Amish as Mennonite, still very conservative. And it is very, I'm gonna, and I have great respect and admiration for a lot of aspects of the Amish community. I I do, I I had a lot of exposure to them as a kid. Um, However, you spoke to some of the side that I don't appreciate a whole lot. And there is so much about conformity almost to a cultish point. And there's, there's plenty of things to throw stones at as well. But to that, that is a lot of, it's hard not to do that to some degree as a family. Even as I openly talk about this with my own family, I say, guys, I cannot not brainwash you. All you know is me. And so I'm telling you, so the best I can do is tell you that you're being brainwashed the best I try not to, but of course, you know, my propensities and my perspectives and my opinions and my values, and that's going to affect you good and bad and be aware of that and question that and don't take it by proxy, but it's so hard not to look, especially our, our leaders, our parents and and, and whatnot, and, uh, trust it and trust that it's best. And it's just. And this isn't a rebellion talk, but yeah, we're, we're, we're all cultists to some degree and conformity of our, of our groups. It's hard to get past that, which brings us back to where we started of, you know, look at the direction you want to succeed in and become aware of the lid and figure out how to be with people who don't have lids as tightly put on or as low uh, as yours. Here's another piece of this uh, that I think is relevant. Don McCallum, he says, to a certain extent, I've overcome the fact that when I was 13 in gym class, I tore a tendon off the pinky of my left hand. It was not operable to repair. Thanks to God, I have learned to play the electric guitar quite well in spite of the limitation. In fact, I've developed my own style. Uh, and, he, and he says, um, I believe God gave me the de- determination to keep trying what I would have given up if I were relying only on my willpower. What was interesting to me about that, Tom, is we know some people who have very tangible lids. I'm going to quote in lids. You and I both know Nick Vujicic. He was born with no arms and legs. That's a very tangible lid. Uh, Eric Weinmayer, who lost his eyesight and ultimately even his eyes, and yet he has kayaked the Grand Canyon. He is Crested Mount Everest. He has done all these things. I wonder if sometimes it's almost, I'm not going to say easier, but it's more, it's easier to look at and address when you have a very tangible lid. Hey, here's my arm just got chopped off. How am I going to do this? How am I going to overcome that? I mean, that's an, I have one of my best friends in school and in later life had cancer at the age of 16 and lost his, not only his arm, but his entire right shoulder. And he was a right-handed guy. So he had to learn everything. And he wanted to learn, how can I, how can I do the normal things? And even more so, it was very tangible. I almost wonder if to some degrees, that's a better benefit. That's, that's a, that's hard, but it's a, it's almost a, a uh, it's, it's a help to have that Then when there's nothing really tangibly wrong, it's a lot harder for us to question ourselves and become aware of the lids that we have, the weaknesses that we have when it's not. And that's the majority of us. The majority of people here in this show right now didn't have anything really acutely bad happen to them. They don't have some big blatant limitation. It's just kind of sifting up there. We don't know what we don't know. We're not aware of what we're not aware of and we can tend to flow around in mediocrity and not look at a limitation that's really there and question it and try to overcome it. Is that fair?
2: Absolutely. One of our speakers, when I first started the company, uh, soon after that, a young man named John Foppy. he's just a few years younger than me, I guess, he came to work with us. Uh, Dad had been on the same program with him and it was like his first or second talk and John was born without arms. Mm -hmm. And so here he's driving a car, he's traveling, he's doing all of life without arms. He's getting dressed without arms. He's brushing his teeth without arms. So he comes in and I get to know him and he's just fantastic. Uh, And I said, how do you do all this? And his story is, is when he was born, uh, the doctors came to his parents and said, look, he doesn't have arms. His, I think it was his intestines are not connected to his stomach. Uh, connecting it and having it work is a one in a million operation. We think it's better if you just let him go because we don't know whether what other issues he has. He could have a lot of other issues. Wow. And his parents said, no, God gave us this child. If it's one in a million, we're taking the chance. So the rest is history. So John now, uh, he's very uh, pro-life, and he, he speaks on that. He's a Catholic, and he that's part of what he does. He was the poster child for who you want to get rid of in life. And I asked him, I said, John, how come you're so fear, fearless? So this is back when he's in his 20s. And he looked at me, and he said, well, because I figure I already beat one in a million, so why not? Yeah. I mean, that was his... His belief and there was no discounting how unfair it is compared to somebody else who's got everything or how much more difficult it is. there was no discounting that. it wasn't like he was he was saying hey yeah, I got nothing right I mean he, he dealt with the stuff and he's got physical issues because of the way he has to live but his attitude and approach was why not give it a shot I've, mm-hmm. I've beat one in a million.
0: What yeah. was the what was the phrase, and I've asked you this before, for some reason I haven't retained it, the thing you said about Nick Vujicic. So again, if you don't know Nick, born with no arms and no legs, which I, I mean, I got to admit to a guy like me who puts so much value and emphasis on my physicality. Uh, it's hard for me to conceive. And yet here he is. And the statement that you made about him being the most, what was it? The most... You, Fearless.
2: Yeah, so Nick's, Nick's another guy of all the people I've ever met. So I asked John, how can you be fearless doing yeah. all this stuff? So Nick, when he comes into the room, the room is filled with just his presence. I mean, I, it's hard to explain. It's like if you didn't know he was going to show up and your back was turned, I can guarantee you if he rolled into the room, you would know that something's going on. And you would turn and there Nick would be and you would see this person who has this unbelievable countenance, to me, countenance of the perfect combination of humility and confidence, right? We, we talked about what, what a great leader needs is humility and confidence. And, and, and I looked at him and I go, he's the most fearless person I've ever seen. And the irony of that is he can't run and he can't cover up and protect himself. Yeah. And so how is it that from a physical standpoint, the most defenseless person in the room is the most fearless person in the room. Yes. That was it. Yeah. So that is, that's a thing. And he's spoken in, uh, you know, in the middle East and, in countries that certainly have a reputation for not letting anybody share a Christian faith. And yet he has, uh, open doors and conversations with religious leaders of other faiths because, because of his presence and because of what he, you know, the love that he stands for, uh, and, and what he, what he does. And he's just, I remember, uh, he, he is, uh, we were talking, this is a few years ago and his, his first he's married he has kids and his, his his firstborn uh, was just learning to walk, and I said, "How's your son?" And he said, "Well, you know, he he just turned one, and he's already outrunning me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that is just the humor of Nick. Uh, but just just amazing, and 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 the reason that I think he inspires so many people is everybody. He, he you know when you look at him. And you go, oh, you know, God, you can tell what's wrong, right? You can tell he doesn't have arms, he doesn't have legs. But so many people, that's the way they feel about themselves on the inside. You know, they're incomplete, they're wounded, something's missing. And so they 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 lean in when he talks, and they realize, wait a second, it's a choice. The way I see myself, and the in the, the limit that I put on myself that's a choice. Yeah. It might be, some things might be harder for me than, than other people, but everybody's got their own version.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, And I feel like that's what they do. And to some extent, that's what your dad did. Uh, he would get up and in most talks that he did, he would begin with his own personal story of, uh, you know, being the young kid of a big family and dad died and going to work at a young age and ultimately allowing people to, well, helping them not discount him for one. This isn't some kid who had a silver spoon in his mouth this is this is this is everybody he probably had it worse than you, and so just like this with you know with Nick and john and uh and Eric, they have every reason to not succeed, which by proxy helps most of us see we comparative comparatively comparatively we have every reason to succeed, so so often it helps us see the ability that we have. But yeah, like you, you know, mentioned, why is it that we have this human tendency to primarily discount ourselves, to look at something that's out there and to think first of the reasons why we could not do it. I think it's, I don't, and I want everybody to hear that and think it's just for whatever reason, maybe you need to know what the reason is, but I can't tell you that I've got a claim on that. But whatever reason, it's just human nature. Maybe from a faith-based standpoint, we'd say it's fallen human nature. Regardless, it just is, and I think even amongst the most, you know, famous, nobody's prone to it. Zig Ziglar had doubt. He dealt with it. I'm sure every day, even till the end, there would be. You now he knew how to get past it. He knew how to point it out, to be aware of it, and go, "Oh, I see you there. I'm not going to pay attention to you." But he had it. We all do. Why we have those things, and we've got to. Well, I guess just that, become aware and go beyond that. Hey, here, speaking of Ziegler. here's Jimmy Ziegler. What, what is his connection, Tom? Second or third cousin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Second or third. So, Jimmy Ziggler. So, he says uh, addiction is the negative condition. It's the most debilitating scourge that this country has ever faced. 72,000 people died from overdoses alone last year. That demon had a grip on me for over 24 years, Jimmy says. But thanks to God, I am totally free. Um, boy, that, that they're addicted. You know, I mentioned a minute ago, the True Life podcast, my, one of my other podcasts is in the health and wellness arena that I co-host with our doctor, Dr. Randy James. And to some degree, and I don't want to say this flippantly and minimize anyone, but I mean, an, an addiction, we can get into defining how we how we define addiction, but it's something that... Uh, We tend to think of it in views of something that we have a hard time controlling. That here is a desire, a propensity that controls us. And again, without minimizing real harmful addiction, uh, I feel like we are, we, again, our human nature is an addictive nature. We are an addictive species. And hopefully I have over time, well, it's what's the what's the fastest way to success, Tom Ziegler? <laughs> Let's replace a bad habit with a good habit. Okay. Well, it's a, so. What's another one? Replace a bad addiction with a good addiction. Because right. we're going to be addicted. I, I I'm addicted to my exercise regime. And maybe somebody could look at it and say there's some unhealth. I actually have uh, a nutritionist exercise coach, and she says, I struggle with having to always overdo it. I always have to go intense and I need to back off. But next to doing meth, it's, it's a better addiction. I'm going to give it a thumbs up as far as a healthier addiction. We have, a, I, I am a foodie. I think we're all addicted to foods. I have over time tried to elevate my addiction from something that's harmful and death-causing, Hot Pockets, or whatever it might be, Cheetos, and, and put it over here and get it to a, a bit, hel- elevate, elevate that appetite, elevate you know that addiction. But we are an addictive uh, species. Now, I mean, to those who literally have dealt with and are dealing with, which is a growing number, I mean, that's st- true statistics today, a growing number of people. We have a higher, the growing, the, the fastest growing a disease, if you'll call it illness, is diseases of despair. I'm not saying it's the number one, but it's the fastest growing right now. take diabetes, heart disease, cancer, uh, all these issues. The fastest growing thing is diseases of despair. That's depression. That's suicide. And the, one of the primary ways people medicate that things that they turn to are addictions and it's usually the harmful addictions of alcoholism drugs sex uh whatever and i I don't know what jimmy specifically was uh but yeah those are those are significant to overcome that is, is is gargantuan um man kudos kudos to jimmy but yeah that's a i would say along with any addiction of that nature there are some significant lids that people see and don't see a way past. I think I read where more
2: people are dying from depression or that kind of group of things than any other illness, heart disease. That's
0: it. Diseases of despair. Yeah.
2: Um, And, you know, part of it is a lie uh, that we've been told. And the lie that we've been told is that you know, it's, we just got to be happy. You know, hmm. if it feels good, do it. If if that's what I need to do, I need to go and do that. And let's face it. Uh, I'm pretty happy when I'm eating cheesecake. I'm I'm pretty happy, uh, you know, doing a lot of things that if if it's too much too often is going to take you down the wrong path.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And so what we say is, hey, let's, let's focus on purpose. Yeah and happiness is actually the byproduct of pursuing your purpose. And so, and a lot of times, um, and this is something there's, there's two areas that, uh, I, I probably have the, I mean, I respect, uh, Nick and John. Uh, they also had great families, um, you know, and people with disabilities and have injuries, and 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 veterans with PTSD, and I respect them. But you know, the the people who come out of uh, an abuse situation—it's a mental abuse when, when they're told that they're nothing, mm-hmm. or there's some sort of trauma involved in in, in their raising, or uh, there's racism, or held back because of a status, or a class, or a color. Of skin, and when I see somebody who basically does it anyway and has and still has the love and you know, in their uh, pep in their step and their desire to bring others with them, that's when I really just sit there and go, Man, that is somebody I want to know more about, yeah, um, because. You know, at Ziegler, we're all about the mental. You know, there's there's three things that we teach constantly that you need to work on every single day: your physical, your mental, and your spiritual. And we're so much about mindset. And so, I know what mindset does, and I know how it wires our brain in a certain way. And when humans, for whatever reason, treat other humans in a way that that um, basically puts a lid on somebody because of, you know, just a perception, just a thought, just a, you know, just words. Nothing gets me angrier when I see it happen and nothing is more fulfilling to me when I see somebody break through that. Yeah. Right. Uh, And and so there are all kinds of lids and some of them uh, we put on ourselves and some of them get put on us. And it doesn't really uh, there's a point where we've got to take ownership of pushing the lid off whether whether it was put on us unfairly or whether we chose that lid with some bad choices, we have to choose to take it off. And that's that's the big
0: one. Um, yeah I gr- I- Totally agree, Tom. That, that right there is to become aware. And you had kind of made a list a minute ago or just kind of rattled something off. And I thought, man, go through the Ziegler wheel of life if you want to and look at those areas, those seven areas, those make attention. and look and ask yourself, where do you feel like your limitations are or where do you feel like the lack or, or, or your, your limit on progress should be? And, and then ask yourself why to say, why is that? Was that, did somebody tell me that, which may be very tangible. Obviously you've had the, the age old movie script story of the father who said, you're never going to amount to anything. You'll never, that's pretty tangible and blatant and in your face. And you may have that, that you can look at obviously coming from somebody in authority, somebody that you by proxy want to trust, very detrimental. But in that case, it may be more blatant than coming over here and go, gosh, I've got a lid and I'm not sure. I don't know that anybody, I I hear that so often, Tom, people say, gosh, I I didn't again, have anything super acute. I didn't have some big oppression. I don't know why. I don't know why I had that limit on myself. And you may come to that and just realize that you're not going to find And maybe, maybe this is it to give you permission. You don't have to find it. If you can, great. If you need counseling and therapy to go figure that out, there might be benefit, but you can also just be aware and say, look, there it is. I don't know why I can't figure out somebody that put that on me. I had loving parents or providers and I've had encouraging people, but for some reason that is there. I don't know why. And Let's name it and claim it. If we want to get scriptural or biblical or religious there, name it, claim it and say, look, I don't know, but I'm going to go past that. And, and on that, and this is probably a good anchor to this whole thing. Here are two, uh, R.B. Williams, she says her what her, her negative uh, programming here, in essence, is that I don't deserve it. It being success beyond my wildest dreams. I'm guilty of self-sabotage thinking. I know now I deserve anything I set my mind to accomplish. Just like Henry Ford said, if you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And Laura Rayburn, right after that, I know Laura, uh, she's a, an alt, kind of an ultra endurance athlete, very successful person, successful single mom. Um, but she says she's, you know, overcoming what, something she has successfully overcome. She believes is a perspective of legalism and spiritual superiority. Boy, speaking of religiosity, I think a lot of people relate to that, but she says, I still struggle with overthinking decisions, allowing others to overstep boundaries and calling it grace and feeling unworthy. I didn't ask them, Tom, you know, where those came from. Did somebody put any of those on them? Did they just find them? How, how great that Laura and RB here are both aware, you know, of those, uh, and, you know, on this, Tom, let me, let me say there may be, I shouldn't say there may be, there is for some of us, as you're trying to audit yourself, if you hear this message is yeah, wh- wh- I wonder, I-, I say, we're all probably, we have some level of unawareness of our lids. And if you feel like you're struggling with that, or you really want to dig in, if you have people in your life that you feel comfortable enough with to ask them, where do you see my limitations? Where do you see me, uh, keeping myself from all that I could be? Where do you see some of those flaws? Tom, I did this yesterday. So here's, I'll be candid. I did this yesterday with my family. Um, I've made a little Google form. I said, Hey, it's anonymous. If I, yeah, I did. I said, if you guys, if I was going to go get help, like counseling in one area, where would it be? Uh, and I I think I know which kid it was. I've got now I've got older kids like you. I've got a I've got a, let's see, 26, I think 20, 25, 23, and I, I'm gonna I make a guess, and I've got one that's 21. Now I make a guess which one it is because I actually thought it was my wife, and I said, okay, honey, I know it's supposed to be anonymous, but really this is what you think, and I I, I talked about that. She says, honey, that wasn't me. Go, okay, all right. So. uh, they said, and they didn't say daddy to give it away, but they said, you know, I, I think it's your, uh, how, the, how do they put it? Your, your lack of confrontation skills, your, your distaste for conflict. And, that she, and they said that you do it to your own uh, demise to some degree. And you also don't help other people because you won't point things out that could help them, flaws that you see in them, because you don't want the conflict. You're keeping yourself safe. And I... I would say, I know that about myself, but I didn't know that it was that acutely obvious to people who care about me. So they see me. So, I, and I thought, really, that's, that's big. Cause I didn't just ask benignly. I said, if there was one specific area you thought I could get help with. And in this context, I would say where I have a, you see a lid, they in essence were saying, I, they, I see a, I see you have a lid on you because of your distaste for confrontation And your avoidance, now I'm gonna paraphrase, your avoidance of conflict. And I do, and I literally said to my wife while I thought it said it, I said, I think I need to dig into that more and I may need some help because I don't understand it. I don't have, again, any acute experience with my family, my loving, supportive parents. And I've got so many people that encourage me. I definitely, I even have proof that if I do bring up conflict or confrontation that people don't abandon me where did this come from? And why is it? Because I know it's in me. I'll do about anything. If you gyp me of $10,000, I'm more apt to just let it go. Cause I don't want to deal with the conflict. I just had a company a few months ago and I could, I could express the details. They were flat out wrong. It, it was an immoral thing. And they made a, I think it was a $1,400 charge to, uh, to one of my, one of my businesses. It wasn't all just my money, but Fourteen hundred dollars charge, totally wrong. Uh, They they made a mistake in it that I could prove, and totally wrong. And I got they transferred me. I I I literally said this is not acceptable. This is not okay business practices. They they gave me up to the higher ups, and uh, and the guy just he he said I'm sorry, we're not budging. That's policy. I was beside myself. Seriously, I cannot imagine doing that. And you, you really run a business that way? Had every reason to go after it. Now, one I could say that it wasn't worth the negativity. deal with, but it did still just bother me. And ultimately it's not worth the conflict. My wife would have gone after it. She would have gotten the money back and it wouldn't have been any skin off her back and it wouldn't have hurt anybody. And she would have done it. So, you know, again, there's a lot we can read into it, but I'm aware of where did I get this over, over exaggerated distaste for conflict? I don't know. It's a lid. I don't know where it came from and it's there. And now I have a kid testifying that they think it's one of my most limiting factors. Well, son of a gun! So, I'm looking for a therapist <laughs> near me. <laughs> yeah. You got some homework. I got some homework. Oh yeah. man! Yeah, yeah. You know uh,
2: what you just said is perspective, and and I'll give my my art example. Uh, when I was growing up, I used to like art, and I'm and from a technical perspective, I'm just not that good. I mean, the talent bucket uh, doesn't equal the desire bucket. Right. (laughs) I mean, Uh, yeah. And it's not like I sit around thinking, gosh, I want to be an art. I don't want to be an artist, but I enjoy it. Yeah. But because I decided based on the obvious art that I did and others feedback that I wasn't good at art, I decided, well, I'm not going to do art. Well, then my, uh, my daughter, Alexandra, she, she gave me a gift, uh, to go to a painting workshop with her. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you go in, Mm -hmm. have the artist up there and they're doing a, everybody in the room is painting the same painting and they take you the techniques. They teach you the techniques on to create this painting. And it was like, you know, it was taking a foreign language and breaking it down into letters one at a time. And when it got done, I was like, you know, everybody knows that that's a tree, (laughs) you know, it's like, It's like, I kind of like that. And then I was like, yeah, but I'm not very good at it. Well, the second time she took me, I had to talk with myself. And I said, wait a second. What's the purpose of me going? It's to enjoy doing the art and learning something new. And so my whole perspective changed my perspective changed to not creating a piece of art that everybody would love and appreciate. But now my view of art is every time I do it, can I remember a little bit of what I learned last time and make this one just a little tiny better than the last time. And that's kind of fun, right? Because now I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm taking the lid off because I've taken the comparison out. Wow. So instead of, you know, something like with with uh, like I admire leaders who are really good at getting in the trenches with with negotiation, with people who were upset at each other and in that confrontation, because I am not a confrontation person. Uh, but my mission statement, which is to create the atmosphere that allows you to become the person God created you to become, forces me to, to do what I have to do in those situations. Mm-hmm. But my goal is not to be the greatest negotiator relationship solver in the world. It's to go in with who I am and say, Hey, how can, how can we move to the next level? Yeah. And that's based on, uh, some people get the rescue syndrome
1: mm-hmm.
2: or they want to rescue people out of situations. Uh, And I heard a quote that said, uh, you know, God gets people right where they want them and then somebody rescues them. Hmm. That's (laughs) that's
0: good. That's.
2: Yeah. And and so now I'm like looking at it from I'm not going to rescue you. And I want to put you in a position to grow. And that's it. And so what do I need to learn to do better at that? Uh, and so when you get really clear on what it is your role is in that thing that you seem to have a bad perspective of or you put a lid on, it really helps. Uh, because now I'm not I'm not going to go sell art for money or anything like that, but I'm going to do it more and have more fun. And so other things that I want to try, it's so much easier to try them Yeah, because I've learned to take the comparison out of it. And just give it a go, and if I like it, try it again, and see if I can improve it a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I get, you know, I, I, I sometimes I get sad when, when I see somebody try something totally different, and the and they they fail, and then they say, "Well, I'm not doing that again." And that's the what we call the the uh, fixed mindset, the belief that if I'm not naturally good at it, I'll never be good at it. Yeah. And that's just wrong. And so we, at Zigler we teach the growth mindset. We've been teaching that before the word growth mindset was invented, probably. Uh, and it's, what can I, how can I get a bit, little bit better next time?
0: Well, here, I got, I got a quote for you. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. Who was it yes. that said that? I think that was Zig Ziglar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. That is powerful. Well, I appreciate the people who shared here. We had a lot of them there, but man, I really wanted to hit these key points of, yeah, these lids. Again, I didn't think about it in that term. I'm going to be, I'll continue to be speaking that these lids that we have been, have been put on us, that we put on ourselves that are there and we have no idea why, but just to become aware of them and just to realize that they are generally an unnecessary lid. I mean, I I still can't fly. I don't have any expectation. I'm going to sprout wings and fly. There are some, you know, limitations there. But the ones that we have on ourselves, I don't know. I wish there was a stat we could pull out of the sky. But I'd say the majority of them are self-imposed or self-agreed with either way. And uh, let's get aware of them and uh, get beyond them. All right, brother. Thank you. Good stuff. Well, friends, this show is just big medicine. I personally believe we all continually live under limits we perceive and have agreed with that are simply untrue. If you consider your life and desires, where are you not satisfied? I encourage you to think through those areas and then ask yourself what you think your limitations are. And then question those, really question them. Not with a no excuses, militant attitude. You can give yourself grace, but try asking yourself if you were forced to surpass your perceived limits or offered a million dollars if you did, what would you do? What could you do? Our humanity often wants to accept limits because overcoming them just requires more of us. So sometimes our acceptance of those limits is because we're unclear on what we really want. And for that, check out my motive podcast. Coming up in Ziegler Show, episode 867, we're back with Tana Amen to talk through her healthy habits for success. You'll hear why she affirms herself continually with I am a warrior. If you heard her story in episode 865, you'll know why this is so important to her and could be for many of you, but just great sharing from this health and fitness industry expert who is a key resource on brain health as well. Till then, thank you as always for walking with me as we inspire our true performance together.